prophet Isaiah. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you, by your power, the power at work in your Holy Spirit that you would so speak through your word and you would so awaken our hearts, Lord, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear your word this morning, your gospel this morning. Lord, I pray in the powerful name of our risen Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to take your worship God and take the outline out that is in it. And follow along with me this morning. We're going to look at four truths that we glean here from Acts chapter 8 and verses 26 through 39. The first one is this. It's a very general statement. The first two really are. But they will serve us well today. The first is this. Is that Christianity is inclusive. Christianity is inclusive. And the gospel of our Bible, the gospel of Christ, is an inclusive message. See, no matter the gender or race, no matter the social economic status or class one is in, no matter if you are rich or if you live in poverty, no matter educated or uneducated, no matter if you are a king or you are a peasant, no matter whether you speak this language or you speak that language, no matter whether you are this people or you are that people, no matter who you are, no matter where you have been in Christ, We come into the same family and we sit around the same table of grace. Christianity is arguably the most inclusive of all religion. Because Christ our Lord shows no partiality. 
His love is great and His grace is deep. His grace is deep enough for the greatest of sinners. Yet it is necessary to be received by even the best of our human race. We see this played out here in the book of Acts. We really see it from chapter 1 through the end in chapter 28. But I will just highlight a couple areas around our passage this morning. In chapter 8, we have Philip, who, by the way, Philip was one that was called out by the the church in chapter 6. He was one that was full of the Spirit. He had a great reputation. They called him out to serve tables so that the pastors could pray and could preach God's Word. But Philip didn't only serve tables. Philip also preached the good news. And we see him in chapter 8 at the very beginning. He had traveled to the north, to Samaria. He uh, was kind of fleeing there due to persecution, but he went to Samaria and he preached the gospel there and people believed. Samaritans were welcomed in, they were included. Then here in chapter 8 in our verses, we have one from Africa. He represents the African nation. He's from a place that is referred here as Ethiopia. It's really a broader area than just what we know as Ethiopia. It includes the Sudan and many areas around that, uh, around that area of the world. But he's an African. Chapter 9, we have one from Tarsus. It's Paul. Paul, a Pharisee, as religious as you can find one, is Paul. And yet he... Places his faith in Jesus. He's transformed. He believes the gospel. He's included in. Chapter 10, there's one from Rome, a centurion. He believes the gospel. He is included in. Christianity is inclusive. I pray that you have felt the very presence of God as you came in to this place today. I don't know how many of you, just looking out, it's hard to tell how many of you are visiting with us and how many of you are members here, but we pray that all of you have felt welcome today. Because we serve a God who is, in His very nature, welcoming. He welcomes us into His family through Christ. And those who have come to Christ should be the most welcoming of all people. We believe here that this church, that Alberta Baptist Church, should be the most welcoming environment on University Boulevard because Christ has welcomed us. We, uh, we hope that you have felt that way today. But I need you to see, first of all, that Christianity is inclusive. But secondly, I want you to notice that Christianity is not only inclusive, Christianity is exclusive. Look with me at the beginning of our text this morning and and we will learn and understand this point uh, really in a drastic form. We see that the Lord called Philip. He said, hey, rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert place. He rose and he went and he met an Ethiopian, a eunuch. A court official of, if you came in the room today, like I did last week, thinking that her name was Candace. Okay, that's what I've said all my That's not her name. Okay, it's Candusi. And that is actually a title. That would be very similar to Caesar or Pharaoh. Okay, and so he, he meets a court official. And I want you to learn a little bit about this court official. He is a foreigner. 
He is a Gentile. For those of you who are not from the Hebrew race, you are a Gentile this morning, okay? So we are very similar to him in this way. He is a foreigner. But not only is he a foreigner, but he is also a high-ranking official. And what he has done to become a high-ranking official is very important for us to grasp so that we understand the significance here in his salvation. We're told that he is a eunuch. And the way for us to best understand that this morning is he gave up right to family for position. He gave up right for family for power. He gave up right for family for success in the kingdom that he was from. He was unable to have children, unable to pass on inheritance, which in the culture... Really, anywhere in this region, first century, was of high priority. But he gave it up. And we know that he is at least a God-fearer. We know that he was on his way, or he was coming back from Jerusalem, where he had gone to worship God. We don't know much about him, we, really, other than this. We, we don't know all of the reasons why he would pack up and go on such a journey. Some people that I read, they, they estimated that he traveled some 200 miles. Some estimated some 1,000 miles. Either way, he traveled a great distance to go and worship the God of the Hebrews. It's the God of the Bible. He gets to the temple and something would have happened. He would have recognized deeply this point that we're looking at today. That Christianity is exclusive. Because being a foreigner, he already would have recognized this because he would have gone into the temple, but he would have had to stay in the Gentile courts to worship God. But he would have noticed it even more being a eunuch. Because not only would he have Uh, as a foreigner, had to go to the Gentile courts, he would not have even been allowed into the gates because of being a eunuch, because of his altered state. Why? God's law. What a great point this brings out. That we say that the Christianity is inclusive And then we go on and say, but yet Christianity is exclusive. He flees to the Lord only to get there to not even be able to enter into the gates to worship. What do we learn from this? Should this be heartbreaking for us? Should this be disappointing for us to learn about? I want you to know what this should teach us is something that we need to know and understand and grasp hold of about God. And it's that God shows us through His law that He is holy. He is holy. He is set apart from us. Sin cannot enter in to where He is. He is pure. And God, by His law, set up where it was not possible for him being a foreigner to enter in past the Gentile courts and him being a eunuch, he wasn't even allowed to go into the gates. See, it didn't matter how far this man had traveled. It didn't matter how religious he desired to be. It didn't matter how successful he was or how much money he had in his kingdom. It didn't matter. 
The law said, and by the way, God said, he wasn't allowed to go in. Today, you need to understand that it doesn't matter how early you got up. It doesn't matter how dressed up you are. By the way, you are looking really nice, though. But It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how religious you think you might be, how hard you're trying. God is holy and our sin is deadly. See, the basic teaching of every world religion outside of Christianity is really this. That there's a big mountain and God is on top of the mountain. And for us to get to him, we had to have somebody to point us. And so maybe it was Muhammad. Muhammad pointed us and said, this is the way that you go up the mountain. And so you traveled up through Islam hoping to reach God at the top of the mountain one day. Or maybe it was Gandhi and he said it was through the Hindu religion, through the Hindu faith, that we travel up this side of the mountain. And if we are to get to the top, then we'll be where God is. We'll have peace. We'll have comfort will have what we always wanted and you can see this through numerous religion including secularism if we can just do this accomplish this be this smart then we will have all we ever wanted but I want you to know that the Christian story the Bible teaches us that it's not really like that at all with that mountain In fact, it's completely a flip of that. The God of the Bible comes down the mountain to where we are. He was born on this earth, creator, becoming part of his creation. He walked the streets of Jerusalem and said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can go to the Father except through Me. He didn't point to a way up the mountain. He pointed directly to himself. He said, I'm the way. See, the Christianity that we are talking about here this morning, the gospel that we speak of, oh, it's inclusive. It's a worldwide movement of God's grace. But it is an exclusive message because we can only come through Christ. See, either what we preach today is either an absolute lie, Christ is a liar, and this is all false, and we're wrong, or He is Lord, and He is to be worshipped. He is to be looked to for salvation. We see here, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, I love it, it says, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So let's visit our third point this morning and return to our story and see our friend here who is disappointed but he's not without hope. Read with me. Let's look at starting in verse 29. It says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Do you see? He gets to this desert 
road. He gets to this road between Jerusalem and Gaza, and he sees a chariot coming, probably wondering, what am I supposed to do? The Spirit says, run after that chariot. And so you can see him just running up beside the chariot, and as he is running, he hears this man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip running as hard as he can. He's just trying to catch up to the chariot. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I? Unless someone tells me. He says, come on up. And he welcomes Philip into the chariot. See, what we're going to see and what this man learns is that the inclusivity and the exclusivity of Christianity are seen most clearly in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The question that we need to ask is why is this man reading from the scroll of Isaiah? What is he doing there? He just had a disappointing season, I would imagine, of time there in Jerusalem. And now he is reading from Isaiah. Which, first of all, is going to tell us something about him. He definitely was a high roller because you can't just get a scroll of Isaiah easily. And he has it, and he is reading it aloud. I imagine he has read probably the whole thing, but specifically chapters 40 through 66, which we learn about the suffering servant. This one who came and suffered and died and rose, bringing newness, not just to one people, but to the human race, anyone who will believe. And he asked the question, who is this one that this passage is about? I want to read for you Isaiah 53. It says, who has... Believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. This was a prophecy about 700 years before Jesus was born on this earth, and yet this passage is about Jesus. It says that he was despised, despised and he was rejected by men, a, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Listen to verse 4. It says, Surely he's borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the discipline that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Pick up in verse 7, reading where he is reading out loud to Philip. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? Stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet God's word tells us, some 700 years before the resurrection, he tells us, yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession. Not he made it, he makes intercession for the transgressors, because he's still alive. See, it tells of one who suffered and died and rose. One who bore the sins of his people, bringing newness to the world. Why was he reading this? Church, I want to invite you to look with me at Isaiah 56. And I believe we're given a window in exactly why he was reading this passage. Look with me at Isaiah 56, just three chapters over, verses 3 through 6. You'll notice at the top of the section, it'll say, more than likely, salvation to the foreigner. Maybe draw your attention there. But look with me at verses 3 through 6. This eunuch was reading this passage, and he wanted to know how this could become his inheritance. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Is that not what he would have felt like in Jerusalem? That he was separated, unable to enter in? And yet he reads about a time, a, a gospel. He reads about a good news that the Lord will surely, the, he'll never say, The Lord shall surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. Behold, there's no fruit for my life. There's no way I can have an inheritance, a family. He says, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. Listen what the promise is to him. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name that's better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Can you imagine the hope that was birthed inside this man? That there is one who, though I have made it impossible to have family, yet he promises family for me. Yet I have sacrificed everything for position. He grants me position greater. He brings me into his home. I have a monument and a name that's everlasting. I, I'm, it's better than sons and daughters. This man's hope rests 
in the fulfillment of this promise. And so there he is reading, who is this one? Who is the one that can make this come true? And Philip says, it is Jesus. It's Jesus. Believe in Jesus. I I love the way the Scriptures uh, talk about this here. It says, look with me in verse 34. It says, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I asked, does the prophet say this about? Is it himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this Scripture, beginning with this place, he said, Let me show you Christ. Let me show you. I imagine he just said, Let's go through this scroll. Look with me there at chapter 7. You know, this one that was born of a virgin, the one that would be called Emmanuel, God with us. He came. He came. He's here. He's risen. Isaiah 9, the child that was born to us, the one that was given, the one that be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, he came and he died on a cross and he rose from the grave. He's the one. I imagine he just walked through just looking at the promises there of Christ. He pointed to him the substitutionary death. He died in your place. He was, don't miss it, he was cut off for you. His inheritance as it was in that moment. He was abandoned by his father so that he would bring many to glory. He took the punishment so that the eunuch could be free. pointed him to the resurrected life and power of Jesus. The same place we point you today. So look at our fourth point today. And it's today, like the Ethiopian eunuch, we must see that our greatest needs and our deepest desires, that they're met in the fulfilled promises of Christ Jesus. See, I don't know where you are right now. But the greatest desire of your heart is met most in Christ. If inheritance is what you want, if money is what you want, if stuff is what you want, if power is what you want, if family is what you want, I want you to know that today the greatest of all those things comes through Christ. See, what we do is we tend to try to find our life in the fulfilled promises of this earth and this kingdom here. And we think if we could just get this, this job, this money, this stuff, this family, we would have it all and yet we come to it and we realize it's not true. Because the kingdom that we most need to live for and the promises that we need to have fulfilled are fulfilled from a king from another kingdom. And his name is Jesus. And he came and he died and he rose. And today you and me look to him for life. There's life nowhere else. See, do you understand that your hope today must be in Christ or you have no hope at all? I want you to think about one thing we learn here from this man that is rescued. Please listen. It does not matter where you are from. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter what has been done to you or what you have done to yourself. Listen to me. If you sit here feeling defiled this morning, know there's hope for you. If you feel ashamed this morning, come to Christ. 
He welcomes you as his own. Have the shame removed, the guilt gone, and come to Christ who saves. His grace is deep enough for your sin. His hope is great enough for your life to rest in. So today, I want to call you who sit in this room today alienated from God. Seeking to please God in some way other than just gripping hold of the gospel. If that's you today, we invite you to come. As the Lord pursued this eunuch on the chariot, so he pursues you today. And his word has the same power to rescue you and fulfill the deepest part of your heart in Christ as he did here in Acts 8. And he will do it. He will surely do it. Anyone who looks to Christ, you will be saved today. So we invite you to come as we sing. Jennifer is going to lead, but... the. Invitation or the response today is certainly not just for the one who is an unbeliever to come. The response is for all of us in Christ to look to Him. As the Hebrews writer said, do not harden your hearts against Him. Do not drift away, but look to Him who is life, Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's worship Him today. We're going to sing in Christ alone a beautiful proclamation of the gospel of grace today. Stand with me, respond as we sing. Let me pray for you. And I say once again, if you are an unbeliever today, come into the family of God through Christ this morning. We call you.